G'day, g'day. Welcome to the third episode of the Osnick Podcast. I'm still Ned, I'm still in Melbourne, and for once we are here on a positive note. After a shocking 0-3 start and it looked like they are on the brink of disaster again, the Knicks managed to pull out a 105-98 victory over the Chicago Bulls behind a 15-0 run in the last three minutes and change. And Bobby Portis had his first guard moment and he didn't just get one bang, he got two from Mike Breen. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? Some guys spend their whole careers trying to get a bang from Mike Breen, but he got it twice in one quarter. Pretty spectacular. You could say this was a game of runs, but it was a game of many runs and more runs, with some more runs in between, and then another run there and another run here. The Knicks fell behind by 18 after the first period, got back into it somewhat in the second quarter, came out the start of the third quarter and shat the bed, which, in typical Knicks fashion, we know they do that well, but however, it was a slow rally from that point onwards. Mitchell Robinson went out with foul trouble. Bobby Portis came in. Then we grinded our way back, surely but slowly, chipping away, chipping away. I thought there when we were missing all those free throws at the end of the third quarter and at the start of the fourth, I thought, this is really going to come back to bite us in the arse. Alas, that's when Bobby Portis stepped up. Frank Nielakina locked people down on the perimeter and the Knicks pulled one out of their arse. Might only be the fourth game of the season, but the Garden crowd sure made it feel like it was the playoffs. Best fans in the world, without question. Can't wait to get back to the Garden. Hopefully it's in a year's time from now. Hopefully there'll be a Christmas Day game that I can get to. So, aside from my hopes and aspirations, I'll take a look at the previous three games, which led into today's great victory over the Bulls, where things went wrong in those three games against the Spurs, the Nets and the Celtics, which was mostly everything, to be honest. What positive signs there were, if any, and yes, there were actually a few. And what adjustments can be made going forward and in the future over the next few weeks, because the Knicks' next 10 games is is very winnable, and they could come out with a solid record. It all depends on what the coaching staff does and what adjustments could be made. I'll also talk about a little bit about what adjustments were made in today's game and if there's anything to to follow through with going forward. As I said with opening night, my anticipation wasn't an excited anticipation, it was a nervousness, a confusion, a wondrousness, and I proved to be right because David Fisdale decided to start Alonzo Trier, and that experiment lasted all of six minutes before he was pulled and Alfred Payton was put in and... Well, no, was it Dennis Smith Jr. was put in to start with? That didn't work out, and then Alfred Payton came in. That's how the point guard situation worked that game. Uh, there were It was an up-and-down game for the Knicks, and you saw the contrast of styles between units. The starters, as we saw during the preseason, were very ISO-heavy in that game. Uh, it looked all right at the time because Marcus Morris decided he wasn't going to miss in the first half. Julius Randle had a bit of a slow start, but he got himself going. In the second quarter, he got out in transition, got some easy buckets. And same goes for RJ. He was efficient around the rim, uh, converting his layups. He even hit a three in the first half, which was a great sign. And I think it was in the first quarter, which filled everyone with a, a lot of confidence. And that seems to have continued. The team fell behind by 16 in that game, early in the second period. But again, like many of the other game back, and eventually they took the lead and a lot of it can be put down to Alfred Payton in that game. His defense, he created a lot of turnovers, and then offensively, 
I think he got everyone organised and we saw it when he wasn't out there in the first quarter and during the early stages of the second quarter there was no organisation and it was freelance offence and ISO heavy basketball which as we've seen so far this season is not a good brand of basketball to be playing and if that's not working the Knicks haven't had a backup plan which is another thing we'll get into later. And as I say, talking about said backup plan, that's where everything fell apart in the first game. Peyton picked up his fifth foul. It was a silly foul. And he committed a lot of avoidable fouls in that game, I felt. And when he went out, everything turned to complete and utter trash. The offense fell apart and we became isolation heavy, especially with Marcus Morrison. Since that first half in San Antonio, he hasn't been able to find his shot again. Uh, he seems to be playing like Carmelo Anthony. There's a lot of uh, post-ups and mid-range shooting, a lot of pull-ups off the dribble, which is not where he's... If the Knicks want to utilise him correctly, just go back and watch the film of Boston over the past two seasons because that's where he'll succeed. Randall, again... Well, not again. It was the first time this year we saw his issues with turnovers and forcing things, uh, trying to go one-on-five and driving right into the middle of the pack and drawing a crowd. and uh, He can try and get rid of the ball all he wants, but when you have seven hands, eight hands waving around in your face, you're not going to have any success that way. And yeah, the Knicks capitulated in the fourth quarter. They imploded. Defensively, there was no communication. Bobby Portis was a turnstile. Randall was a turnstile. And they conceded an 18-0 run, which when everything was said and done was the reason they lost that game. They were up six, and then they fell behind by 12. So all in all, everyone was feeling okay after that game. Everyone, I'm sure, was disappointed after going around and losing the game. However, being able to fall behind by 16, but then getting back into the game and taking a six-point lead in San Antonio on the road, opening game of the year, nine new players, that's a very, that was a very positive sign. And we saw some of the positives that we saw late in the preseason – Julius Randle had six assists, which was, was was good to see. RJ Barrett was efficient, 9 of 13, hit a couple of three balls, was getting to the rim whenever he wanted, was getting to his left whenever he wanted, and he continued what he did in Cods. He grabbed seven rebounds that game, and, well, today he grabbed 15, so he's pretty, pretty remarkable in that area. For a first-year player, for a guard especially, uh, I think that's going to be a real key for him. Especially if he can maintain what he did today. He had six offensive rebounds, uh, one of which was off a missed free throw, which he put back out a bit later. I think another real positive from that game and where the Knicks had their most success offensively on the break, they converted 21 San Antonio turnovers into 30 points. And, and I think it really highlighted where Julius Randle is at his best and most effective, which is in the open court. He... Is agile on his feet. He can he can move, um, and we saw him get out in front of Lamarcus. He's a bull. He's a big boy. He's strong. He's able to take the contact and finish. If there's one thing he's had an issue with, it's offensive fouls. However, I think he'll figure that out, and maybe he'll start to get the rub of the green on some of those calls. We saw RJ and Alfred get out on the break. RJ on the finishing end, Peyton on the passing end, and. Him getting out, he loves to run, so him getting out and pushing the pace and he made everyone run with him, which resulted in a lot of easy looks, a lot of easy buckets. Um, Kevin Knox had a few nice layups and got out in transition. 
He was also another really positive sign through the early start of the year. Uh, we weren't sure no. into the year, but he seems to have settled into a sixth, seventh man role well. Certainly, uh, he seems to be more under control going to the basket most of the time. He still has those uh, wild, out of control, run over three people and complain that it shouldn't be a foul on him, even though it quite obviously is. But I think that game in San Antonio, the positives and the negatives were quite cut and dry. The Knicks were really good in transition offensively. We saw the good signs of RJ Barrett and Randall's passing, Barrett's finishing, uh, we point guard and Alfred Payton. Those were the, some of the positives. Negatives were the iso ball, which seemed to take over in the fourth quarter. Defensively, we hemorrhaged points with Randall and Portis out there. It was just a turnstile, um, which I think we sorely missed Mitch in that game because the Spurs shot 80% at the rim, which is incredible. And part of it was that we had no elite shot blocker out there. The game in Brooklyn was a really, really frustrating watch. I was at work, but watched it after I'd finished my shift. And knowing the result and seeing where things went wrong and knowing where things went wrong, but then seeing them... It was even more frustrating. It was a game that the Knicks lost. They easily could have walked out of Barclays with a win and had a really good feeling going into the home opener. However, they lost that game themselves, as I said. They turned the ball over 26 times, or 25, whatever number it is, it's unacceptable. Uh, I think they, they had less assists than obviously, which is not a good three throws. is obviously quite disappointing, and then the three-point defense... As I mentioned in my preview pod, I was right. It was going to get taken to the slaughter, and it did against the Nets. I don't know why I'm congratulating myself. It's not something you want to be right about, is it? <laughs> At the start of the game, everything was quite stagnant. We were relying on Morris Ice after that first half in San Antonio. He hasn't. Randall was a turnover machine, he couldn't get anything to go at the rim. And then when you're trying to go up against someone like Jarrett Allen and then DeAndre Jordan, who as much as I hate, he can still protect the basket, doesn't defend anywhere else, but at the rim, he's still solid. Portis looked like a walking trash can out there, couldn't get anything to fall offensively. 0 of 7 from 3-point range over the first three games. Defensively is a turnstile. Um, he's like, uh, how should I put this? He is like Sandra Bullock in Bird Box. He's got a blindfold on out there. Doesn't say shit. I think the main positives to take away from the Nets game was a few of the young guys. Kevin Knox had a great shooting. He was 4 or 4 from deep. He had the confidence. He was rolling out there. Took a rainbow from the corner and then did a nice little dance step back down the floor. Then there was Alonzo Trier who decided he was going to cook everyone and everyone. 22 points on 7 shots. 6 or 7 from the field. 3 or 4 from 3. Only 7 or 11 from the free throw line. He can do better from there, can't he? Surely. Um... It may be a little bit deceiving because outside of this game, he's been quite poor. Didn't see the... Um, a lot of it came in the mid-range isolation heavy basketball, which as we've seen, it's not sustainable. But again, the, the ability to get to the free throw line is still valuable thing to have on your team. Go and get you a bucket when the offense breaks down, which it probably will do so at times this season probably will do so quite frequently actually considering the Knicks don't seem to have an offensive system. So the Knicks shot themselves in the foot in this game. They hit 17 of 24 from three which is an abnormality 
they're not going to do that again. They didn't do it against the Celtics. They did not do it today against Chicago. They did not do it in the first game against the Spurs. So that sort of kept them in the game. Wayne Ellington came in in the fourth quarter, nailed three from four, hit his first three. Ridiculous catch and shoots the fourth one. Probably shouldn't have shot it, but oh well. We have to move on from that. That was already, what, four days ago now? So that led into the Celtics game, the home opener. We gave up a dunk on the first play, and I thought, ah, shit, here we go again. But the Knicks, to their credit, they they played a good first half. They played a solid first half of basketball. RJ Barrett was knocking down threes, and the form looked good, and considering that was probably one of the bigger knocks on him coming into the draft and into the season. Seeing him convert 53% of his threes so far this year, that's a bloody good sign, isn't it? Aside from RJ... The game against Boston was a shit show, really. Hey, game, I guess, in all things considered, he scored a lot of his points in garbage time. He finished with 17, 6, and 3 blocks. Randall had a nightmare. It was just an absolute stinker. Had 5 turnovers. Peyton had 5 turnovers. RJ had 5 turnovers. So, yeah, if you get what I'm... If you're seeing what I'm getting at, Nick's turned the ball over again in that game. Way too many times. And also their transition offense was horrid. They only scored two fast break points that game compared to 30 and 13 in the first two games and that died off completely against the Celtics. The three-point defense was again an issue for the second consecutive night. The Knicks conceded 15 threes and 41 attempts. So 45 points and the Knicks only hit 7-3 so they were minus 24 from the three-point line. You're not going to win many NBA games unless you're the Spurs doing that. Overall, team defense, individual defense was not up to scratch. It was not up to an NBA standard. Bobby Portis was playing Sandra Bullock from Bird Box again. Just didn't see anything out there. Then it's going to be hard to watch him do that all season, especially when we're used to seeing Mitch being out there playing the center spot most of the time, making the right plays, being in the right spots, blocking shots. Being smart, Asterix most of the time. Hasn't been that smart this year though, has he? Um, yeah, blocking shots, changing shots, forcing kickouts, you name it, he's been doing it at the end of last year and we were expecting him to do it this year. But yeah, again, aside from the point, seeing Bobby Portis in comparison to Mitch, it's a sad sight to see. So the Knicks again, that game just was not up to scratch. It was a very poor second half performance. Too many turnovers. The offense capitulated. It was ISO heavy. Randall tried to do too much. Tried to force too much. Morris was trying to force too much. Portis couldn't hit anything. From the opening tip, it looked like it was going to be another miserable affair. Mitchell Robinson came out and hit a short jumper. We had a great celebration over that. However, quickly went downhill. The Knicks' defense was all over the place. There was no communication. Offensively, it was much of the same as we had previously seen. It was isolation-heavy offense with a lack of play movement and ball movement. And to cul- as a, cu- a culmination, I should say, I can't speak properly today, a culmination of all of this, to no one's surprise, was the Knicks falling behind 18-6. to That was when Bobby Portis entered the game and his revenge tour began. He was 3 of 3 from the field in his first 10 minutes of action. However, I don't think anyone was filled with much confidence or thought it was sustainable. I certainly didn't think it was. He came in and hit a 
face-up mid-range jumper over Cornette. Then he um, came down off the perimeter and then hit a nice little turnaround mid-poster over Cornette again. Then he hit a catch-and-shoot three with Cornette's hand in his face. I'll be honest, before the game, I tweeted that Cornette was going to have his revenge game and show us why we should have kept him over signing Portis. However, I was completely wrong, and midway through the second quarter, I tweeted, I tweeted, I was wrong, Bobby cooking, Luke looking, as Clyde would say. So yeah, I was completely wrong. However, it's only a small sample size, Luke Cornette forever. Aside from Portis in the first quarter, we got to see Frankie come into the game. He didn't have much of an influence to begin with. His one-on-one defense was good, however... Um, one person defending isn't enough to make up for four others being all over the place. So the Knicks were down by 18 after the first period. I think in the second quarter, Frank started to show some signs. It won't show up in the stat sheet, but I think his, he organized the offense a lot better than Peyton did during the first period. And again, it won't show up with the assists, but I think he made some nice initial passes, which led to sort of hockey assists, uh, secondary and tertiary passes, which... Uh, resulted in a lot of open looks and I think the offense kind of got moving and got going in the second period there was more player movement than we've seen and a lot more ball movement than we've seen so after the Knicks initial surge to get back into the game it was a back and forth affair over the last five or six minutes of the half uh, it was pretty average basketball to watch not much was happening nothing exciting a few nice plays by RJ cutting to the rim um Frank found him once, and then Randall found him on a backdoor pass. The defense, though, had its lapses again. However, to be only down 10, all things considered, and how poorly the game started, it was something that you'd take heading into the half. One note is that I'm surprised they did not get booed off the floor during a timeout in the first quarter, or at the end of the first quarter, being down 18, especially after the way they uh, imploded and fell apart in the second half against the Celtics to see that continue in the first quarter. Kudos to the Garden crowd for not losing their shit. I certainly did. As I said at the start, the Knicks fell behind by 18 at two points during this game. They came out in the third quarter lackadaisical and they completely just weren't awake and the Bulls were ready to go and the Knicks were still back in the locker room, or at least their minds were. Uh, they gave up a quick 10-2 run to fall behind by 18 Fisdale had to call another timeout. That's when things started to turn around, I feel. The defense from that point onwards only allowed 31 points in 21 minutes. So obviously there was a clear change in mindset from that point forward. I think Portis came back into the game and uh, he was his shot selection was much better, in my opinion. He was attacking the rim. He had three layups, I believe. He had two nice right-handed drives on Cornette. And then the third one was a little two-man game with Ellington. A given, given, given go, I think. I can't, I'm can't. i not sure if I counted that correctly. However, on the last time, uh, both players went with Ellington. And then Portis ripped through, went left, and then got the and one on Cornet. RJ was being his usual self, attacking the bucket, getting to his left. Which, surprisingly, three games in, I thought teams would have recognized this by now. You had his whole collegiate career, the summer league preseason and the first three games of the regular season yet people continue to let him go left and I think we saw him on the final possession of the third quarter he blew by his initial defender and then got all the way to the rim before being fouled but I was ready for him to throw that down uh, unfortunately 
he missed two free throws, which I think that's his biggest issue right now is he is unable to finish his good work. Um, it's going to be an issue if teams just decide to hack him and say, mm, yep, make us pay, make your free throws. So I think from that point forward, towards the end of the third quarter, the Knicks started gaining momentum. And then the fourth quarter was where everything kind of culminated and came to fruition and the adjustments that had been made and um, some of the work was finally paying off. Because we saw in the first half, um, with the second unit especially, the ball movement was much better, but they just couldn't get rewards. Uh, they had a lot of missed layups and missed three balls, more well, wide-open shots really, um, which started to go down in the second half and especially in the fourth quarter. The fourth quarter was probably the best quarter um, all season by the Knicks in terms of all-round play. Sure, they've had higher-scoring quarters, more efficient quarters and whatnot, but in terms of all-round basketball, this was by far their best quarter. They outscored the Bulls 33-18 to in the final period. So the Bulls had 80 points through three quarters and then to finish on 98. I think that's a really great effort by the boys to especially after all the, the hammering they've taken over the past 48 hours, especially cri- criticism of their defense, to come back like that and then get stops all throughout the quarter and then especially to close the game the way they did on a 15-0 run, especially after the Bulls hit two big threes in a row to force the Knicks to call a timeout and then the last three minutes and change to not allow the Bulls to score. I'll keep saying that's an exceptional effort, especially with the way they've been defending all throughout the season. Then offensively, I think the team made some really nice adjustments in the fourth quarter. They moved the ball really well. They had seven assists in the final period. So if you um, average that out, that would equate to 28 in a game, which is exceptional, considering the Knicks have been really poor in that aspect throughout the early part of the season. They only had 19 assists in this game, but it was 12 through the first three periods. So seven in the fourth quarter, and then as a result, they hit five threes in the quarter, all of which were assisted on. They only hit 9 for the game, too, so to hit 5 in the final period, that's another great effort. Bobby Portis was tremendous, hitting 3 of those ones. Knox hit 2 timely 3 balls in the 4th quarter, one off an offensive rebound from Portis from the right wing, nice and high arcing, and then the second one was Randall was used as a dive man in the pick and roll, and then he kicked it out to Knox on the wing for an open 3, and he knocked it down. So, yeah, as I said, 2 timely 3s to keep us well in touch within the game. I think Frank had a pretty solid fourth quarter. He made life really tough for Kobe White. He couldn't get by him, couldn't shake him, couldn't bake him. Uh, Frank just stayed stayed on the ground, stayed leveled, and moved his feet and forced White to either take a bad shot or, or pass it up. There was one pass that he made to Archie Diakono in the corner who chucked up a prayer, and as Clyde said, it was answered. Um, I think, yeah, as I said, he made life difficult not only for White, but then down the stretch for Levine. We saw that when Frank was taken out of the game momentarily, Levine just absolutely burnt RJ off the dribble and then that was enough for Fistel to say, nope, Frank, you're going back in. And I think Frank made him, forced him to make a few passes he didn't want to, as in give up the ball. Um, and then there was obviously some tough shots in there. And then I think it was a team effort on Levine as well. We saw Ellington come over and help and force Levine to throw up an air ball and he caught his own shot. So that was a travel. I think, yeah, Wayne Ellington made some good defensive plays too down the stretch. Um, he was defending Wendell Carter, held his ground, and then forced him to miss a shot when he came down with the rebound. So it was a team effort defensively in the end, and I think it was probably the most impressive thing. We know the offense, well, we hope the offense will come 
with uh, as much talent as the team has. But defensively, considering that was all the word that was coming out of training camp, is that this is going to be a hard-working defensive team. That's all we've worked on. We're going to pick up full court. To finally see that happen and um, come to life was, was actually a pleasure to watch for once. So obviously the Knicks fell behind by 18 at two points during this game. Uh, at the end of the first quarter after Kobe White buried a step-back jumper and then early on in the third quarter after we gave up an and one to Zach Levine when we came out of the halftime break completely asleep and not switched on. But to the coaching staff's credit, they made some adjustments to the players' credit. They most likely executed those changes and were more aware of what was going on for once. What were some of the changes that they made? Offensively with Julius Randle, especially in the fourth quarter, we started to use him in the pick and roll more. He was the dive man. He had a few attacks to the rim where he was just trying to bully his way there but couldn't finish, and as we've seen, he had his issues with turnovers. However, he made the adjustment in in the fourth quarter and down the stretch especially where, um, as I said, he had that nice kick out to Kevin Knox for three, and then he also found Bobby Portis twice for two big threes late in the games, two bangs from Mike Breen. And all credit to Julius, throughout the season we've seen him try and force things, especially late in games as we saw in the Brooklyn game, especially in the Spurs game. Uh, This time he slowed down, he composed himself, he made the right play, he made the right read. In this case it was making the team play, kicking it out, and as a result, as I said, we got three open threes from it, which ultimately played a massive factor in us winning the game and pulling out a win for once. I think another adjustment that was a pretty logical one that a few of us had been asking for was to not play Morris and Randall together or at least try and minimise the time they spent on the floor together. And that happened a fair bit during the fourth quarter. It was mostly Knox out there with him, which I think Knox's propensity to stand on the perimeter and be a a catch-and-shoot player and a catch-and-shoot threat um, is more beneficial for the whole team rather than Morris uh, trying to play iso ball and um, get his post touches. But if we decided to use him like he has been used in Boston, which is as a catch-and-shoot player on the perimeter, again, it would open up the offense a lot more for us, which means you could probably play uh, Morris, Randall, and Portis together at stages, or Morris, Randall, and Robinson to start the games. Because otherwise, if Morris is playing his iso ball, it's going to be the lineup is going to be short on spacing. It's going to be very clogged and harder for Julius Randle to operate and harder for Mitch to be a lob threat. My favourite adjustment by far, as you would probably be able to tell, is that Frank Nilakina got to play 22 minutes. And as I said, it's not going to show up in the stat sheet, but he got the offence moving and he played great defence. Uh, in the fourth quarter, I think his willingness to just pass the ball and not have to hold it and to get things going is going to be is great and it's going to be good going forward because I think if he's out there on the floor with players like Randall, um, Ellington as a shooting option, Knox as a shooting and scoring option, he doesn't have to score the ball. He has to initiate the offense and get things going and make the right reads and the right passes and then just work his tail off on the defensive end. That's all he has to do. Uh, of course, it's disappointing that he went 0-6 from the over 4 from three-point range or 0-3 because one of them was a heave. There was three good looks from three. Uh, if he can start knocking those down, that would be fantastic. And I think Clyde said it. He wants him to be good. We all want Frank to succeed. Well, I think most of us do anyway. So, yeah, if he's going to play with scorers, he just has to set them up, run the offense, play defense. The scoring, hopefully it will come. 
in time, at least the shot will come. But yeah, he doesn't need to focus on that or worry about that. Especially considering how badly we've been cooked by perimeter players thus far. DeJounte Murray in his first game back had a day out. Kyrie sealed the deal for the Nets and then Kemba found his rhythm against the Knicks. So Frank sitting on the pine while all this is going on just doesn't make sense and hasn't made sense. So I definitely think, especially now when the league is dominated by guards, there has to be a spot for him somewhere just to play defense because David Fierstall has spoken about that and been all talk about that throughout his time with the Knicks. However, it has never happened. Uh, he's spoken about picking up full court, yet it only seems Frank is the only one to properly do so, not just apply token pressure. I think the move to play small ball was overdue considering how badly the Knicks have defended and how seriously and severely they've been cooked while two bigs have been on the floor. Obviously, Gibson is a solid defender. However, he just hasn't played well to this point. And we know that Randall and Portis defensively is not going to be great. But as we saw on the offensive end, uh, there was a lot more open space and it allowed things to flow uh, easily. And that actually probably has something to do with another adjustment, which was it seemed there was probably a directive for Portis to play more on the perimeter and stretch the floor more than he had been during the season. Um, He stopped looking for his post-up opportunities as frequently. Obviously, it's still going to be uh, part of the offense, and it's something that David Fisdale likes to do. But it's more so been after a set has been run and it's a last resort. It's not one pass, post-up, poor shot. So I think that was another another adjustment that was made. And um, credit to the coaching staff and credit to Bobby for being able to say, okay, I need to stop trying to get mine and I need to do the team thing, which is stretch the floor. And he did so, and as a result, he had his best game as a Nick, which wasn't hard to um, top, but still 28 points, 11 rebounds. That's a super effort, especially uh, being a six-man and coming off the bench. And coming in at difficult stages within the game with your team being down uh, as much as they were, 12 points and then 18 points in the second half. So to be able to do that and then uh, keep your head up, uh, keep the confidence, which I think was something that Nick's really needed. And we saw... Uh, he flexed a few times and he showed his uh, crazy eyes and his underdog passion, which uh, probably inspired the rest of the team. And uh, it's something I don't really care about, the mystique of being an underdog or the dog status of the players. But uh, in a stage like that where you're on the comeback and you see your teammate make a big play and then uh, you know entice the crowd to get involved and um, you know let it out, uh, it's probably something that the team needed at this point. Yeah, sorry for that little tangent, but yeah, the small ball, I think that worked well, especially in the fourth quarter. Um, yeah, I think a few of those adjustments sort of all tie in together. The playing the small ball, uh, Portis spacing the floor more and spreading out to the three-point line, and Julius um, being used as a dive man uh, in the pick and roll, being able to draw the defense and then make the correct read, which he did in this case, uh, or in this game in the fourth quarter. So majority of the adjustments came on the offensive end, and obviously they paid dividends, so hopefully it's something that uh, David Fistel persists with going forward, and not just the, the changes, but the willingness to make the changes. We've seen in previous games he's been thoroughly outcoached, he's been uh, late on making his adjustments, and he's been too slow to react in a few instances. So yeah, all credit to Fizz. Uh, I know we've all been on his case, and hammering him to make changes and to do something different and today he finally did it and well it paid dividends and we won a game so hopefully it's something he'll continue to do going forward as I said hopefully the willingness to make the changes continue 
I think early on in the season, the Knicks wanted to be a really aggressive defensive team. However, I think in the second half today, they were more disciplined, which is probably the way to go. You can still be a disciplined defensive team and an aggressive one. I think discipline more comes down to executing the fundamentals and, and playing the percentages defensively, which, yeah, as I said, they did in the second half. Obviously, having Nilekina in there as a strong point of attack defender helps. He's able to stem the the run of the offense in a sense in that he can slow the, the advancement of the ball and, you know, the offense won't get into their set until there's, you know, 15, 14 seconds on the shot clock. So him doing that, slowing down the initial uh, run, allows his teammates to, to get in position to be more aware and obviously um, that's going to help them to be better defensively. I think the discipline point has a lot to do with just plain plain old simple focus and being locked in. Uh, if you're aware of what's going on, if you're thinking clearly and you're, you're thinking in a straightforward manner, you'll be able to make the correct reads and the correct plays, which in the end most of the time is the simple play. I think the Knicks cut down on stupid idiotic fouls. I think they stopped putting their hand in the cookie jar. I think Nilakina, of course, on the point of attack, uh, was a huge help and that he wasn't over committing defensively and he wasn't allowing the penetration that they, they had gotten in the first half and throughout the first three games of the season. I think Knox played better defensively in this game. Uh, he wasn't getting beaten as frequently or as badly as he had been in the past few games. I think his awareness off the ball was much better. Uh, it didn't seem like he was getting exploited backdoor. The same goes for RJ Barrett. Of course, as a rookie, he's going to have a few slip-ups, as he did once in the fourth quarter, uh, over overplaying Levine and getting blown by for an easy lap. It's just things like that where you've got no one behind you and you, you overplay and give him an easy drive to his left. Things like that, obviously, with time, uh, getting to know your teammates' tendencies better and obviously getting to know the system better. Things like that hopefully will get cut out. I think overall it's just... The change in mentality from being ultra-aggressive to just being smart and um, being disciplined went a long way. I think we saw in the fourth quarter where we had guys stepping into the lanes and that was, you know, making the correct reads, getting in front of the big guys. We saw Ellington do it a few times and, you know, small things like that, they go a long way. I think there was also a greater commitment to closing out and contesting shots and rotating. Rotating is probably the most important part here, I think. In the opening games of the season, the ball has been swung around the perimeter, and it had it happened in the first half today. Uh, the first shot of the game, Otto Porter, well, the first make of the game, Otto Porter's three. The ball was swung around the perimeter, and no one bothered to rotate or close out to the perimeter, and he had a wide open shot. I think in the second half we did a much better uh, job of that. There was a slip up of the of a thirty second period in the fourth quarter where we let Levine just. Uh, have a wide open crack at it and then Markinen in transition was just butt naked so aside from that those two instances I think we did a much better job rotating and covering defensively obviously that probably has a lot to do with communication as well so hopefully that's something that can continue going forward. So yeah overall I think the the main adjustments were what what happened offensively and that we decided to play small ball uh, more than we had been doing so uh, the utilisation of Randall, I think we did that properly for once. I think it was the first time all year he's been utilised correctly in a half-court offence, using him as the dive man, which opened up the floor for everyone else. And then using Nilakina as well, someone who doesn't need the ball to be successful on offence. He just His job is just to get the ball moving, get things going, especially if he's playing with scorers and shooters. He just has to move the ball and then play defence. And then defensively, I think there was obviously a directive from the coaching staff, and they made solid adjustments in the second half. 
Uh, they probably made an emphasis of rotating and closing out, which I think they did an excellent job of in the second half. And then I think the the adjustment of changing the mentality of being uh, overly aggressive to being just disciplined and smart went a long way into winning the game and holding the Bulls to just 98 points and uh, 18 points in the fourth quarter. Overall, I think it's a great win, great way to get on the board for season 2019-20, a 105-98 win over the Chicago Bulls behind a 33-point to 18-point fourth quarter. It's the first time the Knicks have held an opponent under 100 points this year, and as I said, considering the Bulls had 80 after three, uh, to get to 98 is a bloody good effort by the lads. I was most impressed by that fourth quarter. As I said, I think it was our best period of basketball, best 12-minute stretch of basketball we've played all year, including the preseason. Uh, the defense was excellent. Uh, the offense was, was clicking. It was flowing. I think the adjustments made by the coaching staff were excellent and, and great job by the players to implement it. So the, the spreading of the floor, the spacing was much better, and uh, it came to fruition with the seven assists and five made three-point field goals, uh, albeit just by the two players. But uh, And in the end, that was what won us the game. We hit five threes, and wouldn't you know it, playing modern basketball and shooting threes win the games. But of course, it's the fourth game of the year. It's our first win. We don't want to overreact, but we're Knicks fans. We have a tendency to do so. Uh, but I think there is a, a reason or reasons to be pleased and to, to have some more confidence going forward, mainly because of the adjustments the coaching staff made in a 15-minute intermission. Hopefully they can come up with some more genius moves and build on what they did in a, in a 48 hours between their next game, which is on Wednesday evening in America at 7 p.m. Eastern Time. So for me here in Melbourne, Australia, that'll be at 10 a.m. on Thursday morning. It's going to be a lovely 32 degree day then. Um, if you're wondering why I work so much, it's because in Australia the calendar is different. Our summer is uh, fast approaching. The weather's getting there now, but I'm done with uni for the year. Uh, I have uh, four months off, I think, so I'm just going to be working as much as I can, watching as much hoops as I can, making as much money as I can, and trying to produce as much content as I possibly can and add to my portfolio. Uh, aside from that little personal tangent, um, let's take a quick look ahead to the Magic game. So the Magic come in with a 1-2 and two record, having beaten the Cavs in the first game of the season by 9, then having lost to the Hawks and the Raptors, by four points and nine points respectively. They've been a bit all over the place, um, pretty inconsistent like the Knicks. Nikola Vucevic, who re-signed for the four years, 100 million USD, had a stellar opening night, but since then has pulled his best Harry Houdini disappearing act. Jonathan Isaac has stepped up this season so far. Aaron Gordon's done much of nothing. Evan Fournier's been solid. And Markel Fultz suddenly just remembered how to basketball. Yeah, just how to basketball. He remembered how to shoot a th shoot the thing. He remembered how to play. He figured out how to get out of his own head. And personally, I think that's great. Good on him. Hopefully, Dennis Smith can do the same. Hey, um, aside from yeah that, there are some specific matchups to look at. I think Randall versus Isaac it will be an intriguing one. Albeit, I think it'll be quite frustrating for us Knicks fans to watch. I think Isaac is one of the best defenders at his position and is probably going to make an all-defensive team, if not this year, next year. Um, he's incredibly long. Um, he looks like Slender Man. 
those just long, lanky arms, those skinny legs. But um, especially with Randall's propensity so far this season to have forced things off the dribble and tried to play a lot of one-on-one ball, although I think he might be able to uh, bully Isaac in that area physically in the weight room, as they say. Um, I think Isaac's just ability to block shots and then um, have active hands on the defensive end will um, probably give Julius some trouble. I think we've seen it a fair bit too where Randall has been stripped on the way up, so I think that's a, something to look out for. Um, and then at the centre position, Vucevic obviously, as I said, has been quite quite poor to begin the year and Mitch has been a bit up and down so far in his three games. So can can Mitch lock down an all-star centre? So that that's another thing to look out for. Uh, in the backcourt, I think RJ... If he's going to line up against Fournier, that's something to, to watch because Fournier, although he's not the best player in the world, if you watched him at the the World Cup, and as I did, and um, watching a few Magic games along the journey over the last couple of years, he's a pretty shifty shifty player. Uh, he likes to manipulate in the pick and roll, and um, he's pretty sneaky and snaky out on the three-point line, dodging and weaving. So RJ will have his handful in that aspect, and um, Peyton missed the second half with a sore right hamstring, or the um, fourth quarter and end of the third quarter with a sore right hamstring. So um, there's a potential that Frank will get the start against DJ Augustine. He's by no means a world beater, but he's a 40% three-point shooter, solid defender, and is a solid playmaker. So I think in that regard, Frank will have to keep an eye out on Augustine on the perimeter, uh, making sure that he doesn't collapse too far or help too far, uh, too, too far off of him, uh, allowing him to get open looks. So that's another thing to keep an eye out over the next day or so, or two days to see whether Alfred Payton gets up, because if he doesn't, I doubt Dennis Smith will be back with the team. So that leaves a big gaping hole at backup point guard. Uh, Kadeem Allen hasn't made an appearance in the preseason yet, and um, he's inactive at the moment. So the Knicks could activate him and use him um, as the backup point guard, or they could revert to using the playmaking, uh, the individual playmaking lineup featuring Alonzo Trier st- uh, playing backup point guard, or they could um, pull RJ Barrett a bit earlier than they have been and then u- utilize him as the um, ball handler and playmaker for the second unit. Potentially, it means Dotson could get some minutes, which I think he, he deserves. He was probably one of our best players last year, top three. I'd say Robinson... Uh, and Vonley was our most consistent, and then Dotson especially came on in leaps and bounds towards the end of the year. So I am disappointed so far that he hasn't seen the court, but I understand there's kind of a, a logjam uh, in the backcourt and at his position on the wing. However, I think uh, Terence Ross is someone that needs to be kept under under wraps and kept in check if the Knicks are to have a chance of winning, because as we know, as we saw last year, he's a human torch. He can get hot at any moment, and I think Dot would be solid at chasing him around off ball. He's probably our best bet at uh, keeping up with him, aside from Frank, who is most likely going to be a point of attack defender, so either an Augustine or Fultz uh, if he's coming off the bench. The Magic aren't a team that uh, plays overly tall. They have Mo Bamba um, as their backup center, and Al Farouk Aminu, who is only 6'7", is uh, playing the backup four, so... Uh, I think it would be reasonable for Kevin Knox to spend some more time at the four against Aminu and then for Bobby Portis to be the lone uh, big coming off the bench matching up against Bamba. 
he's not going to hurt you that much from inside the arc. I think he's more of a threat as a pick-and-pop stretch big at this point in his career. His inside game doesn't seem to have uh, developed as much and as quickly as the Magic would have liked. However, his, his three-point shooting has come on um, a fair bit since his rookie year. I think these two teams are pretty comparable in the uh, age department. They have uh, both her teams have a young defensive center in Bamba and Robinson. Uh, they have their established veteran stars. The Magic have Fournier and Vucevic. The Knicks have Julius Randle. And then it comes down to both teams that they're reliant or their future success is reliant on the development and growth of the young players. In the Magic's case, it's Gordon, Fultz, and Isaac, and potentially Bamba with the Knicks. It's uh, down to Kevin Knox, RJ Barrett, Nilekina. Um, yeah, both teams' long-term success hinges on the growth of those young players. So I think in terms of that, it, it'll be an interesting matchup, an interesting battle. Obviously, it's two contrasting styles. The Magic were an excellent defensive team. Uh, in the second half of last year and so far this year they've been quite good giving up 85 points 103 and then 104 so uh, the average uh, coming into right now when I'm recording was 111 points per game that was league average so the Magic again have been much better than that Uh, the Knicks obviously are a team that wants to um, kill you with the offense and and they haven't seemed to have worried or cared much for the defense at this point Um, so maybe if the Knicks continue the defensive intensity and the defensive discipline they had in the second half against the Bulls, um, it could be a sort of even matchup in the, the playstyle area. Uh, I think both teams like to spread the floor, and the Magic, I think their bench as well, has a propensity to shoot threes. Terrence Ross likes to get them up, Bamba's stretching the floor, Amini likes to sit in the corner, so on and so forth. So I think there's a lot of similarities between the teams, uh, not just in playstyle, but in the you know, age demographic of the roster uh, and what the future successes of the franchise relies upon. So that's it from me here on the Osnick podcast. I've been Ned. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at Ned7821. And then the handle for this podcast is at Osnick. So A-U-S-K-I-N-C-K. And you can follow me on Instagram if you are so inclined at underscore ned.o. Hopefully the Knicks can string a few good performances together. Um, I'm hoping that the defense can continue because I'm a nerd for defense. I like players who can play defense. I like teams who can play defense. Hopefully I'll be back later in the week. Uh, it all depends on working and my energy levels after that. And I work long days, eight and a half hours in the hot box factory. But uh, the Knicks only have two games between... Now and next Sunday, that is Orlando, as I said, this Wednesday, and then the Boston Celtics on Friday. Hopefully I'll be able to get out a podcast by Sunday morning, uh, United States time, so hopefully Sunday night here in Australia. Cheers, legends.